So Gordon Ryan, you're on first. Hi, Christian. Can you see or hear me? I can see you. I can hear you. Okay. Morning. Um, morning. I had a question about, well, just a popular theory I've been seeing a lot of people talk about um, is the, that the universe is just a simulation and that we're just living in a simulation. That's kind of going around a lot. And uh, I just want to hear your thoughts on what's your thoughts on that. Well, yeah, that is a contemporary uh, hypothesis. Uh, and um, I believe that a number of people in the uh, scientific and philosophical community, the dominant uh, thinking therein, which is, which is, of course, in the, is, is uh, materialism as a philosophy, um, have uh, conjectured along those lines. Um, it's an interesting thought. Um, in, in a sense, it uh, conforms with uh, the uh, idea of Gaudi Vedanta, that we are all part of uh, Krishna's dream, hmm? Mahavishnu's dream, if you will. So if it is a simulation, then um, obviously someone someone beyond us and 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 our 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 reach mentally intellectually physically and so forth is uh has some controlling influence over us uh, that would seem to be the implications of that who that is well we can we can insert that's Vishnu, <laughs> uh and um point to the ancient um um uh, ideas um, from the East um, uh, and different forms of uh, Vaishnava Vedanta. And, uh, and I, I suppose we could say, you know, we're, we're saying something um, similar uh, to that. Um, I think that um, from our point of view, if we look at it, you want to use the term simulation. Uh, the, the difference would be that while we are part of, in a sense, a simulation of 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 the Godhead, um, we also have an, a measure or a degree of uh, freedom or will. Um, so this is a compatibilist perspective with regard to determinism and free will. So determinism would be the philosophical idea that everything is determined mathematically. Hmm? And the apparent will of humans, their desire, their intentions, their will um, is an illusion. It has no causal efficacy. It has no um, effect on the nature of the world and what happens and so forth. It's just an illusion. That would be a determinist's point of view. So humans have no will. Often the term free will is used. And um, 
obviously we don't have free will in every sense of the term because we can't jump out the window and will, you know, not to fall on the ground. Hmm. But it would appear that uh, we live our lives, I should say, all of us, as if we do have a measure of will that is causal and does have an effect on what happens. In fact, we feel, we live our lives as if we will something and then we carry it out for the most part with our senses. So that would mean that the physical senses are affected by the causal influence of our will. But in modern philosophy, the prominent philosophy of materialism, based on a particular interpretation of scientific uh, data, um, they can't find the influence of will. Hmm? enough to their to evidence for that, to their, to their satisfaction. Of course, they're looking for it as being a physical influence. We wouldn't look at it as a physical influence. So that's a whole other thing. But, but at any rate, uh, in a deterministic perspective, there's no scope for will having any causal efficacy. Hmm? It's just an illusion. Now, what I've referred to as a compatibilist perspective, which is one wherein will, to a limited extent, is compatible with a deterministic perspective. So there's God, for example. This is, let's say, this is his simulation. And we're part of it. So he is the overall determining factor. Sometimes we say simplistically, not a blade of grass moves without the will of God. Hmm? So uh, uh, where does that leave us? Are we just automatons? No, according to the Vedanta philosophy, we also have a measure of will hmm, that is compatible with his overarching will. So sometimes the example is given that if a farmer wants to grow rice, let's say he wants to grow wheat, hmm? then he can sow wheat into the field, he can till the field, he can sow the wheat into the field, express his will, I want wheat, and his body can carry out the actions of doing what's necessary for wheat to grow. But if it doesn't rain, it's not going to grow. Hmm? Um of course, it's a limited analogy because you could irrigate and blah, blah, blah. But <laughs> I think you understand the point. Uh, the, in this analogy, God's will or um, sanction of the, of the farmer's will comes in the form of the rain. Hmm? So we have will, but it's not unlimited. It's not unlimitedly free. Whereas Krishna, on the other hand, his, his, his will is free, whatever he wants happens. Hmm? Um, now, when our theory is, of course, is limited, hmm? but it's there. And if it wasn't there, there would be no meaning to the scriptures, which tell us, do this and don't do that. If we don't have any will, what's the point of telling us, you know, don't do this and, and do do that? So those statements in the scripture, indicated that, among other things, this is just one example that the scripture's opinion is that we have will. 
Um, now, the more we come out from under the influence of material nature, the more our free will uh, uh, becomes uh, apparent and, and that capacity of the jiva to will comes to the surface because when we come out from underneath the influence of the Maya Shakti, we're coming in Bhakti, we're coming under the influence of the Sarup Shakti, which is existing only for the purpose of pleasing Krishna's senses. So then we're now in, a, in an environment under the Sarup Shakti that's living, pulsating only for the pleasure of Krishna's senses. So the will that we expressed in that environment will only be pleasing to Krishna's senses. We'll only come up with things that are pleasing to Krishna's senses. Here, the material, we come to the material, material energy, we come up with things that are not necessarily pleasing to Krishna's senses because the material Shakti, Maya Shakti, doesn't work in that way. Hmm? Living only for the pleasure of Krishna's senses. In a broad sense, she uh, works on his behalf to provide negative impetus for us, but um, it's not like the Sarup Shakti that's living only for the pleasure of Krishna's senses and, and manifest in newer and newer ways uh, to please him. So when we come under the influence of the Sarup Shakti, then our will becomes like Krishna's. In other words, whatever you will happens. Because what you want to happen is only for the pleasure of Krishna and you're fully under that influence. I'm going a little on the tangent, but um, the, the, back to your, your point, we have as I'm explaining, a compatibilist perspective where will exists in a limited sense on the part of the jiva and at the same time, a larger overarching will or sanction of God is, is there as well. So this simulation is, is, if you want to call it that, that we are in, is one in which we are part of the dream of Krishna, but we have some ability to determine what happens to us. At the same time, strictly speaking, in a simulation, you wouldn't have any ability to determine what happens to you at any at any given time. So I think that in, in the modern theories that or hypothesis, the conjectures that it's possible that we're living in a in a, uh, a simulation, like a computer simulation, they would have a deterministic perspective entirely. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and those theories are, or uh, conjectures are coming out of those who are predisposed towards a materialistic uh, philosophical perspective, a physicalist, naturalist uh, uh, perspective. So we don't, we could say, yeah, I mean, we say we're living in a, in, a, in a simulation also. The difference is that we have a compatibilist perspective rather than a deterministic perspective where there is an overarching will of the simulator hmm? and at the same time it's such a far out simulation that it that it that it that it's better than any computer simulation in which that simulation and the characters in it don't have any free will don't have any influence hmm? on what happens so it's a simulation but at the same time um the persons who are in, in it and simulated, whatever, they have some, I mean, that'd be like the farthest, far, most far out game you could possibly create if you follow. <laughs> but the characters in there actually 
had some measure of will to determine what would happen to them outside of what you keyed in, you know, to the uh, on, on the keyboard. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that's, uh, that's some thoughts anyway on that uh, that uh, conjecture. I think it's 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 um, it's good that 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 proves to a number of materialistic. Um, minded philosophers um, think it's good that, that that theory proves to have some merit that we're part of a simulation even though they made a look at it from a deterministic perspective because it's it says that we're not the center we're not the all in all that there still has to be somebody controlling something someone controlling you know creating the, the simulation so um, I think it, it op- opens the door for us to, you know, put a foot in and say, well, if it's a simulation, then um, what are the implications of that? Hmm. So those are some thoughts. Does that help? Yes, thank you. Okay. Okay. Um, we now have a follow-up question. Oh. What's that? Yeah, go ahead. Pranada wants to ask a follow-up question. Please do. It- is there a um, reason why assimilation would automatically indicate a controller and someone doing the simulation? I would imagine. Uh, I, I can't imagine how you could have a simulation if someone didn't simulate it. I mean, what is? Look it up in the dictionary. What is? Uh, what does the word simulation mean? Let's read the dictionary. Sim. Simulation. simulation, a situation or a simulation of what is there? Are several meanings. Okay, the, a, a production of a computer model of something, especially for the purpose of study. The method was tested, example, by a computer simulation. So it's the production of a computer model of something. So it's a as a simulation, as a production, a simulation producer is required for production. I think that's pretty clear. Does that help? Pranada? Yeah, it's um, just curious that these physicalists would refer to it as a simulation because I doubt they're thinking of a creator. Well, um yeah i agree um and i don't know exactly what they're thinking but they might think that maybe they have some idea that, that there's a simulation produced by nature nature creates this simulation i i don't know i i haven't uh really researched that a lot that i've what they think but i've heard that term um uh, brought up so i'm i'm, I'm sure they somehow you know, try to dismiss the idea that there could be um, someone simulating it. Like I say, maybe the process of this is of nature are creating uh, that seems weak to me, but we'd have to look, look into what, what they say. What else? Okay, so now we have five more questions. So that okay. ends the equation. Um, Brigu? Dhanavad Guru Maharaj. I have a question about uh, 
the early morning pastimes of, of Radha Govinda. I've been reading uh, in Govinda Lila Amrita, and uh, I really like the, the early, early morning pastimes. And uh, this uh, um, kind of feeling when, when Radha and Krishna, they are so uh, attracted to each other, but they need to separate because they have to get back before uh, their mothers come and wake them up or, or mothers-in-law and, and so on. Uh, so, so that's that's what happens then. That they they kind of wait till the last moment and then they quickly run home. But does it ever happen that they are too late? I'm just thinking that that could could open up for really exciting leelas as well. That they somebody would have to cover up for where they are and maybe distract Yashoda or or something like that. Does does that ever happen? Well, I would say that um, I I'm not aware of uh, any. Um, commentator um, 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 describing that uh, nuance of the daily uh, morning and that possibility, but I wouldn't put it out of the realm of possibility, and certainly it would uh, foster or create a lot of um, opportunity for intrigue, which is the most exciting part covering up the covering up of the parakeet of the of the romantic relationship is obviously the most attractive is, is more almost more attractive than they're the, the coming together all that it in fact all that it takes to bring them together and all the foreplay of radha and krishna that may be involved in that are said to be millions of times more pleasing than the actual ultimate uh sambhog of radha and krishna uh, so um I would say that the, the possibility is 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 there. Um, Jatila is coming. Uh, no, she's not coming. But uh, I think that the she monkey says she's coming. Then uh, that that. But you know, obviously, you know the. And, and I think that as you're you're understanding it correctly, that what we find in Govinda Lilamrita, for example, or Krishna Bhavanamrita or Kavikarnapur's similar Leela Granta on the Astakal Leela. We're just getting a, a particular, like a, I think Gubind Leelamrita is a particular Sunday, a typical Sunday. Hmm? Um, and there are atypical Sundays, and then there's Mondays and Tuesdays and Wednesdays and so forth. So the possibilities are unlimited. I wouldn't exclude that uh, possibility. I've uh, written on that, Leela, and the others, divisions of the Eightfold Leela from the perspective of the Narmasakas who aren't present in that Leela. So, um, uh, but I've written about it nonetheless um, from, from that vantage point itself. And, um, and the necessity on the part of the Narmasakas to know something about that Leela. Now we may know as sadhakas by reading about it, by hearing about it, and so forth and so on. But in the context of the Leela itself, then those talking birds, they show up later on in the morning Leela at uh, at 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 at, at, uh, at Nandagram, and then they talk to the coward boys. So they hear about that. And so they're in, they're well informed and there may be certain messages that they needed to receive and so on and so forth. 
So there's some knowing on their part, but there's also some wishing perhaps on their part, because as you know, when Radha and Krishna finally do separate, sometimes Radha wearing the shawl of Krishna and Krishna wearing something from Radha, um, uh, Radha uh, heads home, but she has an escort in the form of a manjaris or kind of the chariot that she's riding on if she couldn't couldn't move without. They're kind of carrying her by their support, so to speak. She's walking, but um, uh, they're supporting her. Meanwhile, Krishna, he's like cross-eyed. He's got one eye following Radha, the other guy, the other one looking in the direction that, that, that Radha's coming, wishing he had a third eye to look forward to where he's got to go. And he's got no one to support him. <laughs> No one to hold him up. No, no, you know, and so this is something that Narmasakas could dream about, but dreams sometimes come true. Hmm. So there's the possibility. Of course, there there is, there are a couple of narratives. Rupa Goswami's Venuharana Leela, where one of the number of uh, ways and times in which the stealing of Krishna's flute is described and includes a, uh, a, uh, the Narmasakas well into the night and into the morning as, as, as well, their, their participation. Um, so it's, uh, it's, it's like I say, it's, it, there's another, you know, like possibility one could, a Narmasaka could dream about it. As I say, sometimes dreams come true. Hmm? There's a place, uh, what does that song go? Um, um, where the dreams that you dream really do come true, over the rainbow. Okay, that's a place like that. It's over the rainbow. That's where we want to go. Mm-hmm. Sky is blue and his complexion is blue. A place where dreams that you dare to dream really do come true. <laughs> so, and, and that's really, really true in that there is a writing really in the page, in the book of Lila Seva, that's now blank. It has your name on it, but there's no, there's no script. You have to write the script there. So we're back to the point I was discussing earlier that while it's true that our bhakti, in a broad sense, in terms of Leela Seva, our bhakti swarup will be determined by our influence of. Sangha, Sampradaya, the, the way that we're brought in. So we brought into this through the Gaudiya Sampradaya. And it has its prominent influence of a particular type of, 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 of Madhurya Rasa. And then Sakya Rasa is also there as a secondary and supportive uh, influence. Um, so these two windows are there. So at any rate, in a general sense, then, our um, um, standing and sentiment, defining sentiment in Lila Seva will be determined by association, by bhakti samskars, as I often say. But there's our will in response to them hmm, is an equal factor hmm, in a sense. So as we attain higher stages of bhakti, even within sadhana, in Ruchi, for example, as Chaitanya Mahaprabhu explains in Shikshastakam, there are no material desires. There's only desire for bhakti. Hmm? 
um, and attachment to bhakti, which then develops into attachment to the object of that particular type of bhakti that corresponds with that bhakti. So if that bhakti is madhurya rasa or secular rasa, then the object of that is going to be Krishna with qualities that correspond with that um, sentiment. He looks a little bit different, right? Different things stand out to him, depending if you see him from Vatsalya perspective, or you see him from the Saki perspective, or the Madhuri perspective, and, and so forth. So in those stages of where, for example, in Ruchi, there's no material desire, there's only spiritual desire, then there's the Shreya Kairava Chandrika is that there's a prominent and observable beginning influence of the Sarup Shakti. Hmm? Material desires are cleansed. Still you have will. Hmm? So now it will be expressed in relation to this budding sentiment and it will determine details hmm? of one's Swarup. So therefore, you're, like I say, your, your, your name is there, but you know, by you've been chosen. Here's your, your influence. We'll put you in this chapter here, but now you have to write the page to some extent. And that's not something we should do artificially in lower stages of bhakti, but will will be operative and determining. I mean, the will of the jiva, the jiva has, um, well, agency, kartritva, bhoktritva, natritva. So, you know, it, it does something and it does by, by its will hmm? um, is what we mean. It's an agent of action. Hmm? Um, as I said earlier, both in the material world and, and, in, and in the spiritual world, therefore some coward boys like mangoes, some like, ma- make, like bananas more. One likes one taste more than another taste. So they, they're, they have desires there. All the desires are part of Sakya Rasa. It's all pleasing to Krishna. And then from, from, a, from, a bade, from an abade perspective, the non-difference between the jiva and Krishna. Krishna's tasting through the senses of his, of his friends and parents and lovers and so forth, through their senses, their extension of his own senses, by which he is the supreme um, enjoyer. Whereas from the Bade perspective, then they each have their individual desires, all of which are pleasing to Krishna. Hmm? And, um, and so will has, has, has some, you know, something, something uh, to do with that. An interesting thing about will is that we say, for example, the only difference between jivas in the material world is karma. Inherently, they're all the same, like individual atoms are all the same. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're uniform. Mm-hmm. And then we'll say on the other side, the only difference between the jivas in the spiritual world is, is um, you know, the way they worship. So some will worship Narayan with Aishvarya, some will worship Krishna with Madhuri, the sweetness, and so on and so forth. But what's really being said there is, is interesting. Hmm? Go back to the material world. The only difference between us is our karma. But what is our karma? That's our will. <laughs> That's what it is. We have expressed ourselves and the material energy has responded. Hmm? That's karma. So we should say that the, the, the jiva is dynamically uniform. Hmm? 
they're uniform, but the nature of will is that it's unpredictable. So there's a dynamism to it, which makes them individual at the same time. You can't say why one will choose one, one will choose another thing. Hmm? You follow? It's it's very very interesting to look you know more more deeply at the at the uh, the idea um, and emphasize as I am for the moment the the importance and the influence of the will of the jiva in terms of determining his or her situation materially or spiritually. It's not independent entirely. Hmm? Without the Surup Shakti, it's not going to get you there. Um, but, but again, you have to write the page you, you, to some extent. You 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 will write it, and you will know what to write, so that it will all be philosophically correct. It will all fit within the parameters of of of, of what is Bhakti Rasa. And of course, you can get it. You can have your guru can help you edit the page. So. Be there on those mornings. <laughs> Better show up when some intrigue is necessary to cover up for the fact that they've come home late. Jai Radhe, Jai Krishna. Shantali Loki, Jai. Jai. It's beautiful. Okay, Dr. Greg. Hi, Krishna Maharaj. Um, I had a, a request that if you could please uh, speak a little bit about Ganga Mata Goswamini, her position in past times. I don't know that much about um, the uh, life story of Ganga Mata Goswamini. Um, I forget even who that, who she's a relative of. Um, in fact, I saw it the other day, and it, but it didn't stick in my mind. Um, so I can't, uh, at the moment, um, um, answer your question to your satisfaction. All I can say is that uh, she was prominent in the uh, Gaudi Vaishnav Sampradaya, an example of a woman who um, uh, stepped out of the norm of Sri Dharma. Sri Dharma means the Varnashram perspective on uh, how a woman should conduct herself in order to be uh, dharmic, but she stepped beyond the Varnashram into bhakti, bhakti of course transcends the varnashram and applied herself in such a way as, as, as to be uh, referred to even as um, with the exalted title of Goswami, Goswamini. So, but I think that uh, there's probably some information on the internet, you can look up her name and there's some biographical information, but I, I can't recall the details of that. Gangamata Goswamini Ki Jai. Okay, um, there's a question in the chat from Nahul. Nahul Marin. Yes, you see that? Maybe you he could says, read that. Uh, yeah, in Sri Guru and His Grace, Sri Damar says that Bhakti Nautaka was initiated by Bhidna Bihari Goswami. I know absolutely nothing about him, and the book also barely mentions anything. Can you give us some detail on him? Yes, uh, Bihari Goswami was a um, a uh, what Bhaktivinoda Thakur referred to as a caste Goswami, and although in 
some places he criticized the caste Goswami uh, concept. Um, the fact that he took initiation from a caste Goswami, if you will, um, indicates that um, uh, his criticism of caste Goswamis or the term perhaps um, did not apply to everyone who might be seen to be in that category. Caste Goswami means that they, I, they are a family man and um, carrying the function of the guru in the lineage um, rather than a vairagi, a tyagi, or renunciate like the six Goswamis. So the six Goswamis, for example, Rupa Goswami, Jiva Goswami, Jiva Goswami had a number of disciples. They were mostly all, uh, if not all, uh, grihastas. Mm -hmm. And it seems at a certain point that these disciples of the Goswamis started to refer to themselves as Goswami or accepting the last name Goswami, um, perhaps out of just allegiance to you know their guru with, with all good intentions and so forth, not as a way of saying, I'm a Goswami like Rupa Goswami, fully controlled uh, senses as Goswami also means. So I would assume that uh, that, was the, that was the idea, uh, but they uh, became prominent and then the term also was, as, was, was adopted by followers of Nityananda, followers of Advaita, and they have so we have all these Goswami families, um, and in, in many respects they were the main gurus. They tended to be they were all Brahmin families. They were very learned, um, and they were in and around the public. Like, for example, in the Catholic Church, you have your monastics and theologians, and you have your diocesan priests who kiss babies and stand at the door. Hi, how you doing? You know, welcome to the church and, and so forth. And they have a minor in, uh, you know, psychology to, to deal with all the everyday, you know, thinking of the people and the church and their problems and this and that. And the monks are not dealing with that. And the theologians are not dealing with that. Hmm? So the Goswamis were, were in that type of position. So they tended to have a lot of disciples and they would have uh, jurisdiction over a temple and so forth and so on. So Bipin Bihari Goswami was was um, from that um, um, sector, using it in a broad sense, the term, uh, and um, and he was part of the line coming from Janava, or he was in the line coming from Janava, who was the wife of the prim the principal consort of Nityananda Prabhu. Hmm? who after the passing of Nityananda Prabhu uh, became a prominent guru herself. Um, however, while Nityananda Prabhu uh, initiated a, a number of devotees and had eternal followers from Krishna Leela, the Dwadasa Gopal, the 12 principal cowherd boyfriends of Krishna um, in Vrindavan, um, 
he gave out sakirasa. He also gave out Madhurya Rasa by pointing to the fact that Mahabharata was giving that out and that you should go to him and get that and so forth. But through him directly, many people received influence of some scars, impressions of, of Sakirasa. Mm-hmm. Um, Janava uh, became prominent after the passing of Nityananda Prabhu. This was a time when most of the Dwarasakopals were also passing away. Some of them like Udar and Thakur and um, Guridas Pandit, they were still alive, but they were old. They supported her. I think maybe Udar and Thakur may have accompanied her also to Vrindavan. She made a couple of trips to Vrindavan where she became informed about the Goswami's theological perspective on who Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is, what he came to give. And so, and there you will find this influence of strong influence of Madhurya Rasa, that, that perspective. Mm-hmm. So she was very much um, uh, of that disposition. We can say she learned it from them, or we could say she's internal associate. And, you know, there's an appearance of learning it from them, but it was, you know, something that was already there uh, within her. And so, uh, um, in that line from Janava, there were two main disciples. She didn't have any children herself, but she had an adopted son, two, two I think two adopted sons. One was um, Ramchandra Goswami, also referred to as Ramaya Thakur, and another one was Bir Krishna Goswami. Bir Krishna? I think... Birchandra, Birchandra Goswami. Hmm. Birchandra Goswami was a renunciate. And he was very, very famous in Godi, is very famous in Godi Vaishnavism for wide dispensation of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's um, teaching. Hmm. There's some instance where he converted a whole bunch of people at one, one time. Uh, for example, and he went to what was considered foreign lands <laughs> outside of Bengal and so forth, perhaps. Um, and um, the other prominent disciple, Ramai Thakur, he started a separate lineage. And those two had some theological uh, differences. And uh, Ramai Thakur, his lineage became known as the Bhagnapar line, which is a place where he settled after accompanying um, Janava to Vrindavan. Um, he came up with the idea that in Krishna Leela, Janava is Rani's sister. Hmm. that's an idea that seems to have come from him and it seems to have kind of stuck Hmm. Um, it's not an idea that comes from the Goswamis it's not found anywhere in their texts he came up with that kind of thinking it's not found in um, Uh, Kavi Karnapur's book, although he, 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 it's not his personal opinion, but he says others have that opinion, and that could be right too. 
So he's obviously referring to the Bhagnapar line and whatnot. So um, anyway, Bhivan Bihari Goswami comes in that line from the Bhagnapar uh, Goswamis. Um, and Bhaktivinoda, yes, Bhaktivinoda Thakur took uh, Mantra Diksha from him, which is his initiating guru. Um, that said, um, we don't hear much about him in the line of Bhakti Vinod coming from Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur. And the reason for that is that Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur felt that there were things in Bhakti Vinod that weren't in Vipin Bihari Goswami. And while Bipin Bihari Goswami was his Sikshu Guru, Dikshu Guru, Dikshu Guru of Bhakti Vinod, um, his disciple, Bipin Bihari Goswami Bhakti Vinod, from a previous life or descending from Golok, as it might be thought by some, was more spiritually um, um, empowered, let's say. There appears at a certain point, one of the big contributions of Bhakti Vinod from our perspective is that he, that he found the real birthplace of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, which was controversial. And it, it, from the written record, it appears that Bhipabhihar Pari Goswami did not agree with that. Hmm? Whereas what is his name? Um, Jagannath Das Babaji. Jagannath Das Babaji did agree with that. And Jagannath Das Babaji was was it was it was a renunciate. And um, and thought to be a Siddha Purusha, so to speak. And so that opinion weighed heavily in Bhakti Vinod. Thakur uh, appreciated that opinion. So th- th- there's some, some differences there. And, um, and um, there are some things about philosophically about the Bhagnapur line of Ramayatakur that are a departure from the teachings of the Goswamis, especially now with regard to Nityananda Tattva, Balaram Tattva. Mm-hmm. And uh, Ramayatakur tried, tried to take Balaram and Nityananda into Madhurya Rasa. And this has not been embraced by Bhakti Vinod Thakur. Um, I don't know the position of Bipin Bihari Goswami on that, but Bipin Bihari Goswami uh, did uh, in his written work, his principal work, I forget the name of that work now, he did criticize um, some of the uh, critique, some of the books in the Bhagnapar line. Hmm? Um, and he felt that things were, there were interpolations in those texts that weren't accurate and so forth. Now, exactly, I think he dealt with exactly the issues that I uh, refer to, taking Balaram and Nityananda into, into Madhurya Rasa. Um, um, but he may have, I, I don't know. I know there are other things that he, he, he critiqued about those books. Um, so 
to his credit. Um, but um, the, I think the, that the thing Siddhant Saraswati Thakur about Bhakti Vinod Thakur that plays down uh, the influence of Bipin Bihari Goswami upon him was the popular idea in Bengal, an idea popularized by, um, by a journalist and devotee, popular journalist, I forget his name, um, that Bhakti Vinod was like the seventh Goswami. Mm-hmm. And uh, comparison is apt, or, I think, because he was a prolific writer, um, the likes of which we had not seen prior to Bhakti Vinod, um, other than in the lives of the Goswamis themselves. Mm-hmm. And also, as the Goswamis rediscovered at the behest of Mahaprabhu, the places of Krishna's pastimes in Vrindavan, and kind of resurrected it on, on, on the scene in the world. The queens all wanted to have a temple in Vrindavan and so forth, such as the power of the Goswamis. Bhaktivinoda did something similar with, with Navadweep, mm-hmm. um, excavated the places of the pastimes, so Ch- Ch- Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, for example, his birthplace, and so on and so forth. He wrote Navadweep Mahatmya, Krishna Bhava Tarangi, um, books about the the makeup of, of, of Navadweep, how it corresponds with Braj, and so on and so forth. And, and certainly um, his influence um, brought millions and millions of pilgrimages, pilgrims, excuse me, to, uh, to Navadweep and continues to do that um, to this day. So there's a, there's a um, good reason for that comparison. And as such, Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur taught his disciples to reply when they were asked, what paribar or what lineage are you part of? When someone would ask them, he told them to say, Bhakti Vinod Paribar. We are, we are members of the Paribar, the, the lineage of Bhakti Vinod. Mm-hmm. Typically, the Paribars are, um, originate with uh, associates in the Leela of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, like Nityananda Paribar, Advaita Paribar, hmm? Gadadhar Paribar, hmm? maybe the Goswami Paribar, for example. Um, so Bhaktivinoda Thakur was not one of the associates of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu in the Leela. But there are examples of um, referring to a Paribar. Um, that is not connected to one of those eternal associates in Gorlila. For example, we have the Shamananda Paribar. Shamananda Prabhu was not a, um, a present at the time of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. He's in the next generation. We have the Narutam Paribar. Mm-hmm. Similar, Narutam Thakur, Thakur never had, was not born before Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Uh, until after Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's departure. Um, Shamananda was a disciple of Goridas Pandit, or of Hridai Chaitanya, who was a disciple of Goridas Pandit, and Goridas Pandit was an eternal associate of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. And there's a particular internal development within 
Shamananda that brought him to great uh, prominence. And as such, those initiated by him consider themselves members of the Shamananda Paribar for internal reasons. Mm -hmm. um, he, the internal reasons he developed in terms of um, Madhurya Rasa. And there's an incident that occurred by direct influence from Goloka on him. Uh, whereas he was initiated by through in the line of Gauri Das Pandit, which is the Sakiras lineage. It's a Sakiras lineage with some influence of Madhurya Rasa because Gauri Das Pandit is Tubal. Whose friendly love is, is influenced by Madhurya also. And that's a particular subject. But um, so for internal reasons, extraordinaire, his lineage refers to themselves as the, um, they don't call themselves the, the Goridas Pandit Paribar, they call themselves the Shamananda Paribar. And for external reasons, Narutam Thakur, um, who was a disciple of Lokanath Goswami, Lokanath Goswami had one disciple, Narutam Thakur. Narutam Thakur had thousands of disciples. He converted all of Manipur and traveled widely and so forth. So for his the broadness of his campaign and so forth, the prominence of himself in that regard, um, the followers of Naratam consider themselves members of the Naratam Paribar. And you might not even know, uh, unless you looked into it um, uh, from, a, from a distance anyway, you would, that, oh, the Naratam is actually a disciple of Lokanath, or Shamana is actually a disciple of Hridaya Chaitanya. If he's a disciple of Hridaya Chaitanya, who's a disciple of Goridas Pandit, why are we calling it the Shamananda Paribar? Well, I've given the, the explanation. So given the contribution of Bhaktivinoda Thakur, being as extraordinary as it is, um, both in the ways I described, in literary contribution, his Damseva, but also his interface with modernity, the Western world, and all of us, uh, that you know, became possible because of Bhakti Vinod's uh, vision and how he instructed Bhakti Siddhanta to conduct himself and form a campaign and, and so on and so forth. So uh, for these reasons, Bhakti Siddhanta reasoned that our Paribar, we call ourselves the Bhakti Vinod Paribar. And that is not to make offense to Narutta, to Bhippan Bihari Goswami or to minimize him necessarily, but to maximize uh, and underscore the influence and spirituality of, of Bhaktivinoda Thakur, like we do in the case of Shamanan, it's not minimizing Gauridas Pandit. Lokanatha Goswami in the case of Narutam is, is, is an Itisiddha, but still um, the practical uh, influence of Narutam causes his lineage to refer to their lineages Narutam Paribar, no one, no one complains about that. So these are some thoughts about Goswami, Pipimihari Goswami, Kijai, but also why um, there's not much written about him there, why we don't, in our line coming from Bhakti Siddhanta, Saraswati Thakur, there's not um, as much um, said about him. And the I should comment further, the other members of that lineage going back to Ramayatakwar, 
we have to remember that in the case of Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur, who, who I, for example, am connected with through uh, my gurus in that lineage, he is the son of Bhakti Vinod. He is the also a disciple of Bhakti Vinod. He received Harinam from Bhakti Vinod, but he also, under Bhakti Vinod's advice, received Diksha from, from Kishordas Babaji. So Gordeshwardas Babaji is in another party bar. I think he may be in Advaita party bar, technically, coming from Advaita Charya. Bhipmihari Goswami in the in the Janava party bar coming from Nityananda. Hmm. So where are you going to go with that? You know, it's here's here's your guru Bhakti Siddhanta. He's influenced by two different sadhus in two different party bars. What's his party bar? So he says. Bhakti Vinod Paribar, problem solved. Hmm? Um, but as a result of it, then we don't know that much. Typically, through the writings of Bhakti Siddhanta, through the preaching the, the books of Iskan or Godiamat, uh, as Bhakti Siddhanta's mission is sometimes referred to, uh, we don't know that much about Pidan Bihari Goswami or the gurus in his line or those in the line of. Uh, Kukashordas Babaji, who was also an extraordinary uh, person in and of himself. We feel confident in our line. We're connected with two siddhas, Bhakti Vinod and Gorkashore, etc. Um, and so that's a little bit how we, um, we look at that. Uh, hope that helps. So do you have time for one more question? Yeah. Okay, Morose. Um, uh, Dandavas Pram Maharaj. Can you hear me? Okay. Um, yes. So there is a verse in Brahma Samhita, fifth one, describing the Shveta Dweep and how it is divided in four parts. And, uh, and there is like and the end there is the associates are the views of blue, yellow, red, and white. So are these colors somehow corresponding to some qualities of these associates or? Which associates, I'm sorry? Uh, the associates of Vaikuntha. Uh, I mean, I think it's just about associates of Vaikuntha. You know, I'm not, uh familiar exactly with the colors there that you refer to i know that the the in the brahma samhita there's a uh a geographical sonic uh representation in the form of a yantra that's described of goloka not of baikunta mm -hmm. and this uh this yantra sonically i mean to say is a great uh, uh, Geometric, I should say, not geographic, but geometrically, it's a it's a square with a with a star in it, the center of which is the lotus with its petals and so on and so forth. So it's poetic, it's 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 geometric, and it's sonic in terms of the mantra that's within it that corresponds with it. Um, and uh, the outer area is called sort of dweep and the four, I guess the four corners maybe are what you're referring to, um, presided over by, I forget who he says, um, maybe the Chaturvila or... Uh, yes, uh, yes. 
Yeah. This. Yeah. Uh, I don't remember the color part, uh, uh, but uh, um, but uh, so I can't reply to that. But I think that uh, um, these uh, descriptions of these yantras, what what they are is is a is an aid. They're an aid to fixing the mind and um, envisioning. Um, that realm that they correspond with um, is they're similar to the idea of the the deity in the temple and the altar. You try to create a scene that corresponds. You meditate on it to scene that corresponds with the description and so forth. So, I think the use of the of the yantras for uh, as an aid to meditation was more prominent in times um, uh, gone by. But with regard to the colors described, what is it? Red, blue, yellow? Yeah, blue, yellow, red, and white. Red, blue, yellow, and white. I'd have to, I'd have to look it up. Maybe I'll take a look and see it. And Brahma Samhita? Uh, yes, verse five. Five, not four. Five. Red, blue, yellow, white. What's the fifth one? Four. 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 Now it's four. Okay. Okay. Four. Fifth verse, four colors. Pardon me? Uh, it's fifth verse and four four colors. Oh, fifth verse. Yeah, fifth uh, verse. Four colors. Yeah. Yeah. Well, colors do uh, tend to correspond with with emotions, mm-hmm. um, and sometimes there that plays out in terms of complexions also. Um, so um, it may correspond with the complexions and emotional content of those who preside over the four corners, I think is what maybe you're, you're, you're referring to as Sveta Dweep. Um, typically, uh, the four applies to the Chaturvila, but uh, Vasudev, as the principal member of the Chaturvila of Golok, of course, he would have a Sham complexion, which isn't exactly blue, but sometimes it's called blue. And Krishna's Pondra or Balaram would be Sankarshan, Mahasankarshan, white complexion. Then you have Aniruddha and Pradyumna. Mm-hmm. And um, I have to think about them. But uh, those are some thoughts that come to mind. But I, I, I'll take a look at that. It's an interesting subject. So I guess with that, we didn't get to answer all the questions, huh? No, that was, we did. We did? Oh, okay. Yeah, we did good. Yes, okay. thank you so much. Um, have a wonderful week. rest of your day and the whole week, and we'll see you next Sunday. Okay, bye-bye.